Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, we're running out of adjectives to describe what's happened this week in the world of politics. A stunning 48 hours of political earthquakes, election upsets in Georgia, and then an outrageous insurrection in Washington, D.C., led by President Trump. Yeah, and before that, what happened in the Georgia Senate races was a blue wave, but it was not out of the blue. Rather, a decade in the making. Later, we're very excited to be joined by Steve Phillips, a Californian who first connected with Stacey Abrams 10 years ago and was one of the many people who helped her and others flip that state in the Deep South. But first, Scott, let us talk about what's happened in the past day or so. Um, This insurrection, attempted coup in the Capitol, really led by the president, as you said, when he went out and called on everybody to do um and i think we're all kind of sorting through what it means now but uh, what i mean yeah, yeah it's you know the 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 images were shocking of course but you know it was also in many ways completely predictable and not surprising i mean it's a direct line between charlottesville and the plot to kidnap uh, gretchen whitmer the governor in michigan uh, trump kind of r- rallying that one on cheering it on Earlier this week, you know, the homes of uh, Pelosi and McConnell, uh, Mitch McConnell, were both vandalized. And so, you know, I think the shocking thing maybe was not that they showed up, not that the president encouraged them, but that they were able to so easily scale the walls of the U.S. Capitol, get inside, sit in Nancy Pelosi's desk, rip things off of the walls, take selfies with members of the U.S. Capitol Police Corps. I mean, it was it was just crazy. And yet at the same time, we see Kevin McCarthy from Bakersfield, uh, you know, signing on to this crazy challenge to the election outcome. It's in uh, six other California yeah. Republicans. I mean, Tom McClintock's the only one who voted against the Arizona challenge. Young Kim, Michelle Steele, who have tried to sort of distance themselves from Trump, just didn't vote on that. I, I mean, I mean, there's so much here, Scott, right? Like you're saying, I mean, there's the white nationalist undertones that we have seen since the beginning of this presidency, just raring into full view. There is the attempt to subvert the will of the voters, which, you know, is the most just appalling part of all of this, right? This was not a, just a protest. This is people trying to stop the Democratic count of the election that we saw, you know, millions of Americans participate in. And then to your point, why they were able to get there. I mean, the lack of preparation and then the seeming sort of tepid response in contrast to what we saw last year with all the Black Lives Matter and racial justice protests. Exactly. And you wrote about that today, uh, published that online at kqd.org. And, you know, <laughs> There were, we have to say, there were a few 
profiles encourage, if you can call them that. You know, Mitt Romney has been uh, fairly outspoken. Uh, I thought Ben Sass from Nebraska also did the same. Uh, but then you've got the, you know, sort of the enabler in chief, Lindsey Graham, uh, swiveling yet again, uh, criticizing him, saying enough is enough. Elaine Chow, the transportation secretary, stepping down. I mean, Mitch McConnell's wife. It's Mitch McConnell's wife. Thank you very much. I mean, it's just way too little, way too late. Uh, you don't get the, extra credit for you know coming <laughs> yeah. in in the last moments of this presidency. But to your point, you know, it, it, this stuff all becomes has become normalized in a way. We saw something very similar happen in Pennsylvania. You know, where the legislature, Republicans in the legislature, refused to seat somebody who the Supreme Court of the state of Pennsylvania said had been duly elected. So, I think that's the danger. Yeah, no, Shannon Grove, Republican leader in the state Senate here in California, tweeted out this just baseless conspiracy and then deleted it, said it was a mistweet, but that essentially this wasn't pro-Trump supporters, this was Antifa. And I mean, just the gall of that accusation after everything we've seen. Um, I think it's worth noting, uh, Scott, Speaker Pelosi uh, just on Thursday today um, came out with a very strident press conference, um, essentially called not only for President Trump to be removed via the 25th Amendment and warned that Congress could take up impeachment if that doesn't happen, but called for consequences for those members who did, even after this violent attack on the Congress, come back and still vote to try to overturn the will of the people. Um, and yet they're on recess so we're not really sure where any of this is going to go and people like chow are resigning which could really you know make it impossible to even if people in the cabinet want to take trump out of office yeah you know what was really stunning uh, and in some ways uh helped give this whole 25th amendment thing some uh, movement was the national association of manufacturers a very you know mainstream to conservative business group calling so funny, on like to invoke the 25th <laughs> amendment what? Just like it's just so funny to me that like the manufacturers are the ones where we're all like, all right, this is it. We've jumped the shark. Yeah, we got to make the vaccines. <laughs> uh, no, it's crazy. But, uh, you know, this is a group that gave Ivanka Trump the Alexander Hamilton Award last year. Uh, you know, so it does just show that, yes, jumping the shark is one way to say it. But it, it, it is stunning that it has taken this to get us to the point where people are saying, well, maybe this is too far. Yeah, well, 13 more days until uh, the Biden inauguration. Um, and we are going to obviously be watching what happens in Washington carefully. Um, and also, you know, what happens across the nation, because I think there are real concerns about this movement. Um, the, you know, the, the like I said, this white nationalist movement that has really been percolating since Charlottesville uh, in the open. It's been percolating in our country since our founding. Um, <laughs> well, and just to think, you know, to say, okay, this will all be over in 13 or whatever it is days. No, no. you know, it really isn't. Uh, it's just going to be a new chapter and there'll be new people in charge. But the folks who led this insurrection yesterday are still going to be very much alive and apparently on Twitter as well. Uh, you know, so it's um, it, it, don't it's forget parlor. Parlor, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see if that takes. Well, and off. I think finally, and we'll take a break, and then our next guest has a lot to say about this and Georgia, uh, a, more, a happier moment oh, yeah, for Democrats Georgia. this week. Um, which is, you know, we'll also be watching to see how these investigations unfold. Do people actually get arrested and brought to justice uh, for all of the violence that occurred? Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by political activist Steve Phillips. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, 
I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And our guest today may not be a household name, but he has been working for decades to push the Democratic Party to better reflect the people it claims to represent. He's got a lot of titles, so bear with me. He's the host of the podcast, Democracy in Color. It looks at politics through the prism of race. He's also author of Brown is the New White, How the Demographic Revolution Has Created a New American Majority. Steve Phillips, welcome to The Breakdown. Thanks for having me. We're very happy to have you here. Um, you know, initially we had reached out because you have had such deep ties to Stacey Abrams and other activists in Georgia, but you were also working on a book that really dovetails with the horrific scene we saw unfold in the Capitol uh, this week. I-, I guess to start, can you just tell us what went through your mind as you were watching this happen and, and what your kind of top level reaction is? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, Apropos, I guess that I uh, am studying the history. I'm studying at the exact moment doing the writing that this happened. Right. I mean, the basic premise of my book is that the South never surrendered in the Civil War, and that they have continued to fight and retool and regroup and stay at this ever since. And to the extent of uh, which I didn't even fully realize while I was studying this that Lincoln was killed four days after the uh, Appomattox so-called so-called surrender. So they supposedly surrender, and then four days later, they kill the president of the United States. So there's been a very long and unbroken history here. So in some ways, when you look at the, uh, you know, the really the ugly parts of our history, it isn't that surprising in that this, this kind of thing has happened before. And then my other big thought was, where were the police? Where, how does this happen how is the entire United States Congress and the vice president of the United States overrun 
and what is what does that mean in terms of the the security of our of our government? Yeah, what, if gotta, it been, it, what if it had been a foreign country? It's got to be uh, it's got to be pretty encouraging to uh, our foreign adversaries. They see how exactly. easy it is to kind of take over. I want to ask you though, you know, at the same time as all these disturbing things happen, or like literally the same day, we find out that two Georgia Democrats have clinched these Senate seats. Not just any Democrats, too. Not right? just any, right? An African American <laughs> exactly. preacher, uh, Raphael Warnock, whose mom picked cotton, uh, you know, he gave such an eloquent uh, victory speech talking about her and the choice that she had to pick. Now she picked him uh, for the U.S. Senate. I mean, how do you square all of this in your mind? Well, I actually think that there's a there's a through line, right? And that uh, that's, you know, what I really tried to lay out, you know, in my in my first book is that there's a demographic revolution. The country was 12 percent people of color in 1965. And then we you know, passed the Voting Rights Act, brought lots of people of African-Americans into the voting booths, and we passed the Immigration Nationality Act, which took down the whites-only signs in terms of U.S. immigration. The country is now 40% people of color. And so Obama's election represented the, 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 really the cresting of that movement where you've got a multiracial uh, new American majority coming to power. And then it's not any accident that Trump was elected when he was elected. And it was a direct backlash to that multiracial movement. He got, you know, he uh, tried his lines out in the whole birther movement and really realized how much power there was in that, in that racism. And so that is what has been happening is what happened this week, is that those people who were storming the Capitol, they do not, they, this whole thing about make America great again really is code for make America white again. And they do not want there to be a multiracial government. They do not want the senators from Georgia to be a Jewish man and the literal successor to Martin Luther King Jr. at Ebenezer Baptist Church. That's not their vision of what this country should actually be. And that's why they're so animated. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a very direct connection in terms of the, the range of things that's actually going on right now. Before we move on to Georgia, I do want to ask you, I mean, what are your concerns as you look at this? I think that there's a sense for some people in maybe the Republican establishment that this was, I don't know, a one-off, that this was an attempt at an insurrection that failed, that Trump will now leave. There, Many of them are abandoning him. Um, but if you talk to people who study this type of extremism, they are very worried. And, and I'm just curious, like, what you think... And I'm hearing this a lot from the public. What can we do? How should we be thinking about how to fight the racism, but also the anti-democratic um, movements that we're seeing? Well, and again, these things I think are, are, are tied. The best way to fight it is to back people like Stacey Abrams to win, to send people like Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff to Congress so that then we can take control of the Senate so that then we can pass a Voting Rights Act and we can give people $2,000 stimulus, uh, uh, COVID checks. That's the ultimate way to move forward. But this is not, this is not just about Trump. I mean, the, uh, I mean, there's nothing good about this, all right? But the, the reality, the important, important reality is the damage to Trump's brand. That has mm -hmm. come from this, and so that's something which has some long-term implications. What did I see today? Uh, uh, Senator Holly had his book deal revoked. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. things like that's that right. I think are going to be going to be significant. But bear in mind, this is a man who has been unapologetically anti-people of color, pro-white, anti-immigration, all of that, and then on top of that, has completely ignored, walked away from, and belittled the literal 100-year pandemic as 300,000 people have died. 
And he got 10 million more votes than he did in 2016. Yeah, it's crazy. So this is not going away. The pandemic. We haven't not. even, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should just say, if you're just uh, joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. And our guest today is Steve Phillips. He's the host of the podcast Democracy in Color and the author of Brown is the New White, How the Demographic Revolution Has Created a New American Majority. And Steve, um, with regards to Georgia, one of the um, tweets that was making the rounds on election night was from Georgia Congresswoman, newly elected Congresswoman Nakima Williams, uh, who now is uh, representing the late John Lewis's seat in Congress. And she praised you uh, as an early advocate of Stacey Abrams uh, back when she was in the, the legislature. And her tweet includes a copy of an email exchange between you and Stacey Abrams dating back to January 11th, 2011, almost a decade to the day, uh, yeah. where she asked for your advice and your thoughts. And she saw some opportunities in Georgia. What, uh, when you first heard from her, what did you think? Yeah, no, I was, I was, uh, well, I was pleased in general to see that tweet, and then I was even more <laughs> pleased the next day to see that, uh, you know, I'm like, a, you know, saying small town dude doing our thing, but my Twitter followers doubled after oh, Stacey. Wow. Said that. Right, You're so. a little star now, Steve. Yeah, so that was nice. No, I was, uh, Stacey, which I met with her in 2011. She brought with her a PowerPoint, which was her plan for flipping Georgia. And it was, you know, like a whatever, 25 page PowerPoint. And I was so impressed and kind of blown away by the level of detail and rigor within it and the long term thinking and the reality. It wasn't like, oh, yes, we're going to magically fix everything. She's like, no, in 2012, we're going to try to pick up these six seats in the state legislature. Then we're going to try to pick up these other seats. We're going to steadily increase voter turnout of African-Americans. We lose by 200,000 votes. There's a million and a half non-voting African-Americans. And she had a very specific, meticulous, detailed plan that was very logical. And so that is what was so um, impressive in that she was rooted in reality, but also very determined and very clear on how to go about expanding the political power in Georgia. I'm curious that uh, that long-term playbook she had, did it include her winning the governor's race? Well, what she shared with us did not, but I, the person who connected me, and that's actually embedded in the bottom of that email that was on Twitter, is our friend Ben Jealous, since who was the, used to be president of the NAACP. And Ben has known Stacey since uh, they were both in their early 20s. And Ben says, and Stacey has been, she thought she writes about this in her book, that she had a spreadsheet that laid out her career trajectory that had her <laughs> running for governor uh, right around 2018. Well, I didn't, I've not heard some of the, that. That is amazing. She's like a very organized. I'm a, I love spreadsheets myself. So I really appreciate that. I mean, can you talk about, I mean, obviously she came with this impressive, very well thought out proposal, but I don't know, was there anything that you and other activists saw in Georgia that just, that made you think this was possible? Because I think, you know, up until Wednesday, a lot of people didn't think that even after Biden won the state, right, that this was still possible in this moment. I mean, and, and is this a playbook you can take elsewhere? Yeah, well, Biden didn't think it was possible himself, as you said yeah. on election night. We won Georgia. It wasn't even part of the plan, right? And so... It wasn't part of his plan. <laughs> well, yes. So I, I, I got you. Uh, I think I put this in this quote in my book. I happened to be in Sacramento in was it 89. There was this attempted political, I mean, you can't even use the word coup anymore in this context, right? But it was attempted ousting of Willie Brown mm. when he was speaker <laughs> that he suppressed, right? right? 
And I was there when he gave his speech after that. And the first thing he says is, the first law of politics is you have to learn to count. And that has always stayed with me. And so if you can count, you can see, that's why I thought Georgia was always a doable proposition, right? The margin of difference had consistently been, Obama lost by 200,000 votes roughly in Georgia, a million and a half eligible non-voting African-Americans. So that is, and so the other place where there's been a similar 10-year, there's two other places that have been similar 10-year plans and don't get as much attention. Well, one is Virginia, which has gone from being, you know, purplish, reddish state to reliably blue in a similar fashion. New Virginia majority, leaders like this one, uh, Tram Wynn was one of the leaders of that grouping, steadily extending voter participation. The other is in um, Arizona. And so we did this whole interview in our, in our podcast with John Laredo, one of the his former House Minority Leader in, in, in uh, Arizona, 10-year plan. So when they won, John posted, says, well, 2020 was year 10 of their 10-year plan. That's how they flipped Arizona. And then you look at Texas, the margin in Texas, was, well, first of all, Biden got more votes in Texas than Trump got in 2016. Hmm. So just wow. in terms of voter turnout, yeah. and the margin was still about 600,000. There are still 3 million people of color who did not vote in the election there. What do you make so of the, the fact? potential remains. Yeah. yeah, excuse me. What do you make of the fact that Trump did a little better among black voters and quite a bit better among some Latino voters in places like Texas and Florida than he did in 2016? What do you, how do you, how do you see that? Yeah, I think that one of the things that has been insufficiently um, in, uh, appreciated both in 2016 and 2020 is the role of gender and is the role of sexism. And so people don't, you know, why was you know, people say, oh, well, Hillary wasn't popular, et cetera. I mean, you can't, sec you can't separate people's views of women's leadership in terms of even what happened to Hillary. And then any of the incremental gains that Trump made among African-Americans and among Latinos were largely among African-American men and among Latino men. And I think that has a lot to do with the appeal of the you know macho demeanor and profile that did resonate um, with some men. I mean, we still don't overemphasize it, right? The second most democratic grouping of any population after black women is black men still. So, but yeah, it's it's a notable thing to make sure we don't overlook, which is going to be important in Biden's administration, is that, okay, to what extent are they going to lead with an agenda that speaks to African-Americans and African-American men? Well, I wasn't going to go there yet, but since you did, let's stick with that. I mean, what is it that you see needs to happen? And not just, I mean, I, I think for black voters specifically, but also just for all the Democrats, the millions who came out uh, and did hand the reins of power to the party. I mean, obviously there's COVID response in the economy, but beyond that, I mean, what are the, the real um, kind of one, two, three things that you think the Congress and the White House need to tackle this year? Right. And so this is all in the context of the fundamental battle in this country over the identity of this country. Is this a white country or is this a multiracial democracy? And that's the underlying uh, manifestation of this. And so we actually lift up in the latest um, podcast, seven people working in these three key areas. We're going to say, who's the next Stacey Abrams? And so I do think that it's um, immigration is a key piece. Uh, we have had a literal uh, whites only immigration policy from most of this country's history from 1790 to 1950s that to be a U.S. citizen you'd be a free white person the racial reckoning 
Right. That didn't go away in August of last year, right? Paused, I think we're, tactically. yeah, I think it's front and center. Yes. And so I think that, 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 and so there's that issue. What are we doing about all of the concerns that systemic racism? And then there's voting rights and democracy. Well, and about that, you know, already we're hearing Republicans in Georgia talking about uh, making it harder to vote, uh, getting rid of absentee ballots. I mean, clearly the pandemic had something to do with Democrats doing as well as they did uh, because it enabled people to vote for longer periods of time and in different ways. So what can be done at the federal level that can't be stopped in a place like the Georgia legislature? Yeah, and that's that. And that's the thing. Looking back through history, right? That the voter suppression has been a cornerstone of really white supremacy ever since post Civil War. They, re, you know, they rewrote the constitutions in the um, 1880s, 1890s to have some poll taxes, literacy tests, and perhaps one of the least appreciated, most significant parts of flipping the Senate is that now we actually can write a new Voting Rights Act, and so we can move it through the House and move it through the Senate, and so. The, the gutting of the Voting Rights Act that has gone, has occurred over the past, really ever since the passage of the Voting Act, can begin to be reinstated. And so you can have very clear, specific congressional intent around, and then you can look at the, the, both the, the court decisions as well as the fact pattern of how things have actually played themselves out and craft a better one that can actually be more tailored to what the different legal arguments have been. But we can give the federal government the power and authority to investigate, stop voter suppression in the way that it, that the Voting Rights Act used to have it. And that now that we've got the House and the Senate and the White House, that really needs to be the first order of business. Um, you know, Kamala Harris is going to be playing a key role in all of this, obviously, our own U.S. senator until mm-hmm. 13 days from now. Um, I, I guess I'm just curious what, how important you think that is that we have a black Asian woman from California in that role, and especially now that she's going to be breaking the tie in the Senate. Yeah, no, I think that that's another aspect of this, and that's interesting. You know, I mean, obviously I have a much longer history uh, with Stacy, but actually Stacy connected me in 2015 to Reverend Warnock. Right. So one of the blurbs in my book is from Reverend Warnock, um, who I talked to at that time. And so when he re- started running this year, I was trying to get people in, in, in invested in his race. And it was very hard. It was slow on the uptake. Our group, Democracy and Color, did these report cards of the Democratic Super PACs. And we gave a very low grade to the Senate Super PAC, Senate Majority PAC, because as of August 1st, they had put $7 million into Iowa and zero into Georgia. Wow. And so there's this implicit bias, frankly, around the types of leader who is a leader within this country. And so that picture, frankly, historically, has looked much more like Joe Biden than has looked like Kamala Harris. So to have somebody with the the cultural background of Kamala, as well as the cultural authenticity and force of personality, really is a very important part of a much broader swath of the society feeling connected to the political leadership of the country. California, of course, is a deep blue state, but you know, Democrats lost four House seats uh, since the midterms. And I'm wondering, you know, what do you make of that? Do you think that the Democratic Party in California or nationally was sort of asleep at the switch? Was it more a case of the Republicans doing a really good job at nominating the kinds of candidates that uh, you're advocating for, two Korean-American women, uh, a Latino Navy, a fighter pilot. I mean, those were those were pretty good uh, nominees. 
Yeah, I think it's both of those. I think that is a, a very much of a cautionary tale, is that the Republicans were far more attuned to fielding diverse candidates than the Democrats have been. But fundamentally, it's about the, the lessons from places like Georgia around, are you investing in mobilizing and turning out the, the voter population you need to? So the House Super PAC in 2018 in their race with uh, T.J. Cox in, in California, California 21, the House Super PAC was told a donor, don't invest in that race because there's a lot of Latinos and Latinos don't vote in off-year elections. But that donor went ahead and moved money to Communities for New California, a group that came out of the farm workers tradition, knocked on 30,000 doors, and won that race by 800 votes in 2018. That same race, it was lost by a very slim margin. So I don't want to overreact in terms of there being these huge lessons. There was a big increase in voter turnout, both for Cox as well as for uh, Valdeo. And so we've got to continue to invest in the steady voter turnout work. And had we done more of that, these races, which were all very closely decided, we could have closely decided them in our favor, but there's not the level of investment and commitment um, in the way there is that people like to run all these TV ads. Well, and you make a really good point, which is I think at the heart of Stacey Abrams' success and others, which is that this isn't, you don't you don't parachute in 90 days before the election. You stay on the ground and do the organizing. Um, all right, I wanna end on a light note. You, it's been a week, uh, just about a minute left or so, but I mean, what are you gonna do to celebrate Georgia once we, uh, <laughs> once we stop all watching cable news like every second of the, the hour? Can't even go to the inauguration. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it is the thing about, um, well, for one, frankly, frankly, it's being able to relax, right? Is that, you know, max only 13 days from now, hopefully maybe even before then, just the level of anxiety uh, on a day-to-day level, but the security of knowing that we're, we're going to have control of the Senate now. We've got control of the House and we're going to have the White House. And so there is just, I, I don't think people could appreciate the n- tens of millions of lives the long-term future, if we can do this voting rights act, what that means for long-term politics, climate change, Paris Accords, COVID relief. Anything can be done about the census? Can, can the census be fixed? And the census piece, right? They couldn't even get their act together to properly undermine. And so now Biden's going to be able to, you know, fix that as well. So, so many lives are going to be better, um, really starting January 20th. So All right, Steve Phillips is uh, going to breathe a sigh of relief, it sounds like. Exactly. <laughs> Activist, author, check out his podcast, Democracy in Color. Steve Phillips, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, that is going to do it for today's Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tovin, Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. Happy New Year. It's still the New Year. (laughs) (laughs) Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures, then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.